the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back to the Cover Three Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Now, have we been checking in with you every single daggum day for... I don't know, last week and a half? Yes, because the sirens have been in your feed. And look, we got more breaking news to get to in just a little bit. Yes, we'll continue to react to the fallout of Texas A&M moving beyond uh, Jimbo Fisher. Another SEC West firing here on Monday morning. Boise State has moved on from Andy Avalos. Penn State has fired its offensive coordinator after an inept performance against Michigan's excellent defense. Texas might have lost its best offensive player for the season. That's a not might have for the season. That's definitely true. Might have is depending on whether you think Jonathan Brooks is their best offensive player. My opinion, more of that. Paul Assassin. We'll do a little bit of AP Top 25 reaction, but also fold in some of our college football playoff rankings, predictions, and... As always on a Monday, upon further review, gives us a chance to do a, a broader scope. You know, Saturday night, we're in the moment. Games are still going on. We're kind of going game by game. Uh, I feel like a Monday's upon further review here in November. Good chance for us to take uh, stock of the landscape as a whole. But as I mentioned, and as all of you in the Cover 3 tailgate have been talking about this morning, uh, it's been a busy 48 hours on the coaching carousel. So let's take a spin. I love that so, so very much. Those of you watching on Cover 3 just got uh, a great dose of our uh, a great dose of our latest animation here for the, the silly season, the coaching carousel. Before we get to more from Texas A&M uh, and some of the other changes from Sunday, Monday morning, it's the uh, it's exactly what we called for. You know, we joked about it. We said, all right, if Mississippi State opens Sunday, are we going emergency pod? It was Texas A&M, not Mississippi State. Of course, we went with it. Before, but Bud, are you, you were the first one that brought it up on Saturday night, so I'll let you get first word on this. You have always hinted at a short leash for Zach Arnett from the moment that they made the promotion. You have discussed the difficulties of a defensive coordinator 
taking over an offense and a roster that was built um, for Mike Leach to be able to run a classic Mike Leach-style team and did so with, with some good success at Mississippi State. So when you look at what's happened on the field this year, how much of the different pieces, whether it's short leash, whether it's scheme and style, whether it is personnel or even some of the performance, you know, what do you think made it easy for Mississippi State to be able to go ahead and make the call here to move on from Zach Arnett? Sure. So just pulling out some of my notes from the preseason uh, and, and really since, since the announcement that Arnett was going to be the interim guy and they promoted to the to the full-time guy, I think Mississippi State had their doubts about him from the jump. The, mm. the contract they gave him indicates as much, right? It's essentially just a long-term interim contract. The buyout is basically nothing. There's a full offset in there. And if I was Mississippi State, I think I would have fired Zach Arnett as soon as he made the, the, the coaching changes that he made, right? If the idea is that we have the tragic passing of Mike Leach, okay, and we're going to try to keep the, the band together, we're going to try to like you know, minimize the, the the down vibes, Arnett knows the program. We have a really, really experienced roster coming back, 20 senior starters or whatever the crazy number was this season. And then he's like, yeah, you know that air raid stuff we've been running? Screw that. We're going to run toughness, run game, move people out of the way at Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State should be like, dude, you just don't get it. Okay, you're must champ 2.0. And he was, basically, except the defense also got worse, uh, which was a problem. I I just think he, he was an unqualified hire and would not have gotten the job had he not been the interim with, again, the tragic passing of Mike Leach. So if you if you basically promote a guy who's not really qualified for the position, it's pretty easy to fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an impossible situation, like the way that the job came open is a tragedy. And then you're in a situation where you don't really want to be conducting a coaching search while all this stuff is going on. So you kind of just, you know, you, I don't mean it to sound this way I'm saying it, but you just kind of gra- grab the guy who's there and like, all right, let's get this done with and let's go into the season and we'll evaluate from there. Like, Hey, maybe it works. Like the odds of it ever working were very, very low because as you know, you, you went over, bud. they, you can't change a team's entire identity in one offseason, typically, if you've got time. If you're doing it on the time frame that they were trying to do so, it's even more difficult. So it's like that was the reason I, I was down on Mississippi State going into the season because, yeah, they had a lot of returning experienced players, but they had a lot of players who were experienced in a completely different style of play than what they were going to be asked to play this year. So it was really kind of like pounding square pegs into round holes, and we have seen the results. It hasn't been pretty defensively statistically they have slipped up a little bit compared to what they were doing last year the recruiting is not going in the right direction it's like there really is no significant reason to keep Arnett if you're Mississippi State and you want to trust that he's going to get it turned around odds are he won't and odds are at this time next year you're doing the very same thing except now the hole you've been you know thrown into has been a little bit deeper and harder to climb out of especially with Texas and Oklahoma joining the league yeah, the impact of conference realignment is um, it, it just creates urgency. You know, whether it's stated in these discussions or whether it's just sort of understood, you're looking around and Texas and Oklahoma greater than you. Okay, so what can we do to make sure that we're not going to create even more of a deficit right there? Do you think, Tom? Do you think Mississippi State is a? Do you think Mississippi State is a program that in the future SEC should be? What should be setting its expectations on being able to regularly make bowl games? That should be the goal. 
mm-hmm. it's it's going to be hard to get there. It's it's already hard. I mean, I think <laughs> obviously the, the landscape of this sport changes, but for the most part, it stays the same, like in the long term. And I think that there is a lot of recency bias in what we view this job as. What Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State was not the norm. This was not a team that was used to having those kind of successful seasons year in and year out. Most of the time, Mississippi State was a doormat in the league. It was the one team where you looked at on the schedule. You were a fan of any other team. You're like, that's a win. Like when you were trying to add up the wins to find your trip to the bowl game. So the la- the success that they can- didn't really have after Mullen left immediately under Moorhead was not a surprise. So then you bring in Mike Leach, who is another all-time Rove coach, who starts you know having success and you lose Mike Leach you kind of revert back to what you were. So it really depends on the hire. If you make a grand slam hire that turns out to, you know, to be exactly what you need, then yeah, your expectations can be, let's get to go bowling. Let's maybe every once in a while we get it perfectly aligned. You know, the stars all aligned. We have a veteran roster, the right coaching staff, and everything works out and we really have a special season. But I mean, in six and six and seven and five is probably, you know, where you're hoping to be in coming years. And that's assuming that the SEC does not go to a nine-game conference schedule. Mm. If they do, then then we're talking more five and seven, six and six, because for a team like Mississippi State, that that is a that that's a problem. Their cross division every year is what Kentucky or well, was. Yeah, it, it's about to change, and I've I've got some yeah. thoughts too on sort of like you know where they stand in because all of that is about to shift in terms of you could argue Mississippi State's about to get easier if they go to a divisionless format. Yeah, but if you get if you don't get Kentucky every year, that means you're getting Georgia and Florida and Tennessee more often than you used to. But agreed, you don't get LSU and Bama every single year. You also won't get Arkansas every year. You won't get Ole Miss every year, right? It, yeah, you um, will. you'll get Ole Miss every year. Still. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, you will get Ole Miss. Every year. <laughs> yes, yes. Apologies. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't get Ole Miss every year, there are going to be riots. <laughs> I I don't know. This is it's a really really tough job, right? It, if you take it, you will be rich, right? Especially if you're one of these guys coming from the G5. But like that is an important decision through which we have to view this job because like I know there are guys who are good coaches right now in the American or the Sun Belt who are having to sit down and say, hey, this probably ends in failure, right? The odds I fail are a lot better than the odds I succeed. But I will come away making about $25 million guaranteed, which changes my life, and it is generational money. Like job versus program. Mississippi State is a good job compared to almost every other job you can have in the country, right? Like, you know, maybe like, you know, CEO of Apple is is better, obviously. But you will be crazy rich. Can you actually win? Can you actually – can you level up from there? It's really hard to do. Mullen did it, but also Strickland was his boss at Mississippi State and then took him to Florida. So um, this is a really tough job, man. Like, these are – this is one of the programs that I think conference expansion – really hurts okay now if you're an athletics administrator at mississippi state you love it because the checks get bigger and you're making even more money but like fans don't root for balance sheets okay like the average mississippi state fan who goes and tailgates his his fan experience is not better because the assistant ad makes 110 as opposed to 70 right like and that's kind of what happens here because you can't spend the money on the player so all that said if we do end up going salary cap in like five or ten years my thoughts on Mississippi State job change a lot, but at present, this is a really hard job. 
Since 1961, do you know how many top 20 finishes in the final poll the Mississippi State football program has? Like five and four of them under Mullen? Got to be more than that, right? No. Like seven? Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Was that right? Yeah, no, it's it's like five Wait. or six. I've got one year here where we don't have, you know, like we don't have the coaches, but you do have the AP. It's like 17 and nothing, but that would be a 1980, 1981 old Emory Ballard year. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're either talking about uh, about five or six. We're talking about a program that since 2000, once we've moved into our SEC West and SEC East, they finished second in the SEC West in 2014 uh, under Dan Mullen. Nothing else has been better than tied for third, and they only did that three times since 2001. I mean, you are you are constantly, and even if we do realign the divisions, you are just constantly running behind, at minimum, three to four teams that you're recruiting against, three to four teams that you're going to be battling against. And you know what? Actually, 14 teams out of 16. The only team that Mississippi State can reasonably have an expectation of roster better is Vandy. Wow. But they even will when you've got the first team ranked number one in the college football playoff rankings era, even all right. So to go back to Dan Mullen peak years, he at least had evaluation down. I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah. it was the defensive side of the ball too. I mean, they, yeah, they, they had good players, dudes. They were yeah. really good players on the defensive side of that ball for Mississippi State team as well. It wasn't just you no know, Dak. It wasn't just the way that the offense was built around him. Um. Yeah, you're. It's a it's a tough one. All right, so let's go to the candidates part of this. Let's let's hear some names. Who who do we think would work well for Mississippi State? Uh, more than specific name, I think you have to look at the kind of coach you need. Like you you can't do the let's hire a Saban or Kirby assistant model and then try to build our own version of Georgia or Alabama because no matter how effective they are at it you are never going to have the same level of talent as alabama or georgia so it's you're really capping yourself at you know of what how far or how well you can do you have to go the same kind of mode you went with mullen and with leach you have to find somebody who brings a certain style or identity that can give you an advantage at the margins that maybe can give you a chance to compete against the other teams that are more on your tier level in the league so I mean, I know Willie Fritz has been bandied about as a possibility. I think that's the type of hire or, you know, somebody along those same lines where you're not just trying to out-recruit everybody. You've got to out-scheme. You've got to out, you know, you've got to out-develop guys. You've got to take raw, uncut, two-star, three-star gems and turn them into valuable SEC caliber players. So that's what you need to look for. Do not just hire the guy and say, all right, we're going to go out there and recruit and we're going to see what happens. So a couple things that I, I wrote down before getting the names, and I, I agree with Tom. I think you have to know, like no doubt about it, you have to run a unique, difficult to prep for offense because mm-hmm. the goal is to try to steal two SEC wins a year, right? By tricking people, by having people overlook you, by running something that's a little funky. So when the, the team that's like not a Bama, but like, you know, so when an AM has an off week of practice because they think you're a walkover and they don't take that stuff seriously and they're not investing the time in the iPads to really watch what you do and you scheme open two wide open touchdowns because they didn't take you seriously and your defense holds on and you're able to go two and six in the league, right? 
Like I have to have a coach that can scheme stuff open and be a unique, difficult prep. If you're running stuff that's real similar to what everybody else has run at Mississippi State, you're doing it wrong, period. Doesn't mean you can't go defensive coach, but no. if you go defensive coach, you have got to be sure that this guy embraces offense and will run something. I think it was either Jason Kirk or Connolly who, who kind of coined this phrase of there's David strategies and Goliath strategies. And if you try to run a Goliath strategy at a David school, which Mississippi State is, you will get your ass beat. And they do. Look this year. So you have got to run a David-style strategy for a David-style school. So like with that said, I think John Summerall would make some sense because he's at least embraced offense at Troy. I think Jamie Chadwell would make a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, He's a Southern guy. He has done underdog strategies. It's not like you recruit your butt off, you know, talent wise at Coastal. Mm-hmm. He wins everywhere he goes. And I think he understands how to run a program. I think Tom's point on Willie Fritz is really well done. I don't want anybody who's coming from a background of always having better players. I kind of need you to have a track record of winning with lesser guys. They need, they need their Lance Leipold. That's what Kansas finally went and did. And look what it's doing for them. That's what Mississippi State needs to find somebody who can do that. Yes. So is Lance Leipold going to have to lay out another... Uh, another I'm staying here forever? Yeah. It's like, it was like, well, Michigan State, I'm staying here forever. But Mississippi State, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I if, if I'm power-ranking jobs, I would have Michigan State ranked higher than Mississippi State. So I don't know. Um, and that's it, not to say Glenn Schumann couldn't work at Georgia, but like, what's Glenn Schumann's track record of working with lesser players and, and overcoming obstacles? Mm-hmm. Do we know he's going to like embrace offense and hire a unique offensive scheme? Mm-hmm. I, I'd have to like really be assured of that in the interview. That's why I'm a little little skeptical of some of these young D coordinator names. And you know, like it's it's this is a completely different topic, but part of the reason it's not the primary reason, but it is a small reason why Alabama was so successful in the SEC was that all the Davids kept trying to be the Goliath. They kept trying to hire the Goliath guy who could not compete with it. So yes. it's, yeah, it's, it is a process question that a lot of SEC ADs have gotten wrong over the last 15, 20 years. And it's a huge decision to make. And that's what, I mean, thankfully if you're Mississippi state, there is, you know, proof of concept in that you had Leach, you had Mullen, you took this route and it was successful. Do that again. Not saying it's automatic that he's going to work, but you need to take that approach. Did uh, oh, can I get reckless for just a little bit? Because yeah. I just think kind of funny. Please. What if, what if, uh, what if Sean Lewis got demoted because he got caught get, getting that feeler call with the uh, <laughs> with the, um, what what is it called the the search firm? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What if what if the the search firm was doing the back channels for Mississippi State because is. Is Sean Lewis the hire that you thought you were getting with Joe Moorhead? Could be. I mean, could Kent be. State is absolutely a David program. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's a pretty good argument Kent State's the worst D1 program over like the last 50 years. And he has almost all of their best seasons like that. I don't know how, how high you would be on their list, but I think I think you at least need to call him. Like he did a really good he, – he made it to the MAC title game at Kent State. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he comes he comes fresh with he comes like complete with an identity. Like you right. know exactly what he's trying to do. It's not like he's gonna go there and try to figure things out. You're gonna go fast, you're gonna spread things out, and you're gonna present unique problems to your opponents that they're not used to dealing with on an every week basis that they have to figure out. A lot of the teams will figure it out because they're really good, but not everybody will. Would you call Paul Johnson? Yes. Hell yes. Run the triple. Do it. Would you would you call Rich Rod? Yes. Yes. I think I would too. 
And I think that there is a um, 100% year over year higher likelihood that Rich Rodriguez, who's currently at Jacksonville State, is going to take the job before Paul Johnson, who probably just teed off his morning 18 at Grandfather Mountain. <laughs> Well, actually, Grandfather normally closes down by the time we get to it's, it's like the last week of October, Halloween. I mean, it's mountain golf. You can't be open all winter. It's not good no. for the grass. But he's got a, another track, I'm sure, to be able to get in on. Fritz may be your Paul Johnson, right? Yeah. A, a guy who can give you a good 10 years if, if it works out well. Like He's not immediately looking to stepping stone job. It runs a unique offense, exceedingly competent as a, as a guy that runs a program. Uh, that, that would actually make a hell of a lot of sense. Um, especially if he's looking for just one giant payday to finish it off because like he's not going to, he's had success everywhere he's gone. He's got Tulane is one of the better power group of five programs in the country. They might win the American again this year. You're not going to have that kind of success at Mississippi state, but Mississippi state can pay you more than Tulane can. And also uh, I'm so sorry that we just continue to bag on the American athletic conference. Cause it, we are going to get to that. I mean, this title race is awesome. It is like yeah. super interesting, but I Tulane compared to where my stock price analysis was at the end of last season to where it is right now, it's still at the top of the standings the way it was. It does not feel like it's the same no. team. Mm -mm. And Agreed. the future of being in that conference, if you're Willie Fritz and you're looking around at the landscape and it's kind of seeming like the separation, with the, the dividing line in the conferences is getting a little bit thicker as we're going to have some conference consolidation here coming up in the next year. I, I would think, to your point, you go, you give it a run at Mississippi State, get a nice retirement plan, go ahead and, and see how it goes from there. But that might be better than trying to, you know, scrap it out with UTSA every single year, uh, hoping that you're going to be able to get that one spot in a 12-team playoff that's going to be reserved. Because if we do move to the 5 plus 7, which I – that would be my prediction instead of the six plus six as it was uh, first presented. All of those available spots, you know, whether it's one through four and then all of the at-larges are going to be going to teams outside of the American Athletic Conference. Tulane's going to have one shot mm -hmm. to be able to make that playoff and it's going to have to win its conference to get there. And I, not that Mississippi State gets you anywhere closer to the playoff, but I think that that avenue in terms of what your ceiling is going to be with the green wave I would, I would understand using now as an opportunity to jump off the ship. Also, the, the chat is asking, and, and I'm glad they are because we haven't brought him up yet, but I think the reason why we have not brought up bringing back Dan Mullen yet is like at least the people I talk to, they're not really sure how, like is Dan Mullen trying to jump back just for any job? Like mm -hmm. apparently Dan Mullen's son is a really good golfer and he may just enjoy doing like the dad mode and getting to see his son play you know, really competitive high school golf and get to do some. Oh, I don't know. Matt Barry was his son. Because <laughs> I, I, I asked somebody about this, and they're like, "I mean, Mullen would make a ton of sense, but the coach has to want it too. Maybe he does. I'm not trying to speak for Dan Mullen. The guy I talked to is not Dan Mullen's agent, but he's like, you do know his son is like legitimately a good golfer, and he's getting to do like full on dad mode with that. And like, there's something to that, man. Like Dan Mullen's rich as hell. He could take three years off. He's really good on ESPN. Mm -hmm. And if he wants to jump back in, he jumps back in for a hell of a lot better job than Mississippi State at some point, I would assume. Yeah, I, I don't know Dan Mullen, but I know people around him who have told me that he's very happy doing TV. 
Um, and like I said, playing golf with Matt Barry and every and, single location. Before and expensing it by using a two minute segment on the show <laughs> or under the ocean game. course. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. So here's the plan. Uh, the eighth actually comes back up by the clubhouse. Just bring the cameras down to get a quick shot of us on the green. And you're all good. <laughs> That's an expense. Social team, forward it on, make, make it look real busy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we also probably have to consider other jobs which could open, which would compete against Mississippi State, right? Duke. Uh, Arkansas. If if Arkansas pulls the trigger and, like, goes back and calls Gus home, like, I think, I think most coaches would rather have UCF than Mississippi State because it's going to pay – kind of similar and you can win a lot more at UCF than you can Mississippi State. Like if you're looking to do the springboard thing, yeah. Uh UNC maybe? I don't know. They they won again. Do you think speaking of Gus, different job, do you think Gus makes sense for AM? I think Gus is a pretty competent coach, man. Mm-hmm. And I think he would do well there. I don't think he's sexy enough for AM. Yeah. That's I think that's AM's problem is they're they can't make a sensible hire. Yeah, it's got to be sexy. All right, um, let's let's hit a quick break and then we'll we'll come back more A and M fallout. Plus, um, as we mentioned, we've got it, Brady Hoke also announced his retirement today, so that's a big shakeup in the Mountain West. Boise State fires Andy Avalos. Uh, lots of movement, and so we'll continue to get into that and more here on Upon Further Review Monday next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Neil Brown to Mississippi State, Jimbo Fisher to West Virginia. Boom. <laughs> I, th- I we never talked about that in uh, the emergency podcast on Sunday morning. You think Jimbo's back in college football next season? Next season, no. I mean, maybe, but there's no offset language in the buyout. Like he's getting that seventy-seven million no matter what he does, which just job there negotiating that contract suckers are born every minute many of them live in college station but i think if you're jimbo considering everything you've done maybe you don't mind taking a year off and then seeing what else opens up because like what jobs are available that you think jimbo is really going to be dying to jump into 
West Virginia. Available. Is it open? Might be now that Jimbo's available. <laughs> Maybe. I would. I, I do think Jimbo on TV, if he can slow down the talking just a little bit, because I, I haven't covered Jimbo. Like I covered Jimbo as a beat guy for like 10 years. He literally would watch the other games. I think I think like he took like the voting thing seriously at times. Like he would watch a lot of the other games that are on and you know, have opinions on like, hey, look, look at this team did this. I thought this was really creative. Wow, like that you know, you, you kind of get him after the press conference and stuff. And and he so I think he would put in the time to have like good opinions on game day or you know, big noon or or whatever. Um, or even like an SC network roadshow where he does, you know, ten a year or something like that. I I think he could do pretty well there. Okay. Um, any other further Texas A&M thoughts? I mean, we, we got together pretty much right as everything was happening. We have since had, you know, the official press conference where, uh, we had our athletic director, Ross Bjork, you know, indicate the, he didn't see any big steps forward. He knew that championship contention was the goal. And not only were they not there this year, but it didn't look like they were going to be there soon. So have you picked up anything else or any extra intel and that would have you uh, looking a certain way in terms of uh, potential candidates here? The Lions guy. I don't uh, What's his name? Dan. Uh, he's not. That was the one I've seen mentioned that I didn't have. He's not. Why in the world would he leave an NFL team that's currently seven and two and a Super Bowl contender to go coach Texas A&M? Why? Well, it's I mean, funny you mentioned Dan, Dan's That's a little question. different than most people, so maybe he would. But he's why? from A and M. He went to A and M. Yeah, but it's yeah. just, and he's very much, he is a football guy who loves Texas A and M and all that stuff, and maybe it is that important to him. But I also think he very much loves the team he is currently coaching and has built. I think that there's a, uh, I, I think that there was an interesting level to this that as we were just rattling off names. Texas A&M has to make some hard decisions. Do you think if you're going for a Mike Norvell, if you're going for a Dan Lanning, if you're going for uh Kalen DeBoer, like, do you think that you can sacrifice a recruiting class? Cause I'll tell you what those guys might not be. They might not be even talking to you seriously until 10 days before signing day. Like, I mean, you, and if, if you're in the playoff or, are you going to be waiting around until after the college football playoff for one of these coaches? So I, that's my biggest question coming out of this is from the Texas A&M standpoint, there are names on your wish list that are just sort of the no-nonsense rising stars in the industry, but with the early signing period and the recruiting calendar set up as it is, do you think Texas A&M would be willing to essentially like have Elijah Robinson, the interim coach, try to – hold together some kind of semblance of a recruiting class? Are they built to be able to do that and then go get the rock star hire in January? Yeah, I, I think you really can't concern yourself with how good or not good your short season class is. Mm -hmm. If you're AM, you have tons of money. If you hire a guy who is in a playoff race, you wait for him, and then you go and you say, hey, who do you need out of the spring window in the portal? We'll just go buy that player or this player or whomever, right? to the extent that that player is actually available in the portal. Um, you have some kind of in-house guy locked down the current talent on the roster, which will be heavily pursued. I mean, there's a lot of good players on A&M. Jimbo just is not a good coach anymore and you know, wasn't able to win with them. But like, there will be significant 
portal interest from a lot of these A&M players. So I think that's probably the main thing they need to do is like, hey, we still got the cash. We're going to hire a good coach, even though he didn't get it right last time. Stay on the roster. Don't leave. Don't jump in the portal until after spring if you really are considering you know, portaling, that, that, that type of thing. I, these are important decisions. They're more important than a short season recruiting class. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's it's bad. You, that's short term thinking for a long term problem. Like Miss Texas A and M, you are not a season away from winning a national championship. No matter who you hire, you're not winning the national title next year. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. So, if this current recruiting class gets messed up or you lose some key players from your roster, that's that's the cost of playing poker when you fire a guy with seventy seven million left on his buyout that you know you extended even though he wasn't getting the results that you desired in the first place. But I also think that you kind of have to humble yourself a little bit when it comes to your coaching search, not saying you need to lower your expectations or your goals or your desires. If you want to compete for national titles, if that's the goal, that is fine. But you need to look in the mirror and realize that despite what you think of yourself, you are a school that has not won a conference title since 1998. You are a school that has not won a national title since 1939. Do not think you're above somebody. If Jeff Trailer is the best candidate for your job, do not look at him as the UTSA coach. He's not good enough for us. Look at the candidate and see what they can do for you. So don't just limit yourself to big names, sexy headliners that can help you win a press conference. You're trying to win a national title. That should be the goal for who you hire. And I will say Jeff Trailer could probably do a lot of good scrambling to throw together an early yes. signing period class if you can lock and him up. And he's a good coach. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think we, we hit this pretty well on the uh, on the reaction show yesterday, but we can all sit here and acknowledge that there's no real reason that we can identify, right, that AM can't win big. But we all can agree that it's hard to see gravity, but we know it exists. Right. There are occasionally internal issues and things that just make it hard to win a place, even when the money's really good and the location in terms of proximity to good recruits is really good and the fan support's really good. Like those things also exist elsewhere. Now, most of those programs don't go on a dry spell like AM's been on. I think inevitably AM will probably win one. It's hard to not eventually get one. I mean, even Texas finally got one. I mean, right. like, Texas exactly. compared to resources, Texas compared to location, you know, t- the number yeah. of conference titles and national titles is more than Texas A&M, but not by significant uh, margins. I, like I've heard people say this is a top, like a top five job. It, it's not. No. Okay. It's definitely a top 10 job because they're going to overpay like crazy. And they're going to say yes to everything you ask for. But top five jobs to me are the type of jobs that you really, you can't really screw up. Like an Ohio State ain't never bad. Mm-hmm. Right, There's stuff like that. Uh, you know, Georgia obviously, just because it's it's Kirby made some improvements and they're just totally rolling. Mark Rick had that thing operating like eighty percent capacity, still winning ten games a year, and they're they're a batted pass away from winning the title in twenty twelve. Right, so yeah, I, I think it's a damn good job. I don't think it's this automatic win there job, but I think you're you're better than fifty fifty that you will win there. But I don't know about winning the Natty necessarily exactly. Yeah, because what's it? Bear Bryant, Gene Stallings, and Jimbo Fisher combined zero national championships as the Texas A&M head coach. Mm-hmm. Just because you can't say what it is doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, all right. As I mentioned, Andy Avalos uh, fired by Boise State on Sunday. San Diego State head coach 
Brady Hoke announces his retirement on Monday morning. Um, what other any any major thought there or anything stand out about those shakeups in the Mountain West? Barry Odom and the Rebels got the whole conference turned upside down, just getting everybody fired. You know, um, it's the boys he won. It's it's weird because Avalos was another coach fired after a win, and it was a pretty comfortable blowout win. It was just a weird day for that. I, but I, I'm not surprised by it. You could kind of sense it was coming just because things were not trending in the right direction. And when I remember when Brian Harson left Boise for Auburn, and there were a lot of Boise fans who were, weren't exactly sad to see him go because they didn't like the direction the program was headed, and things have only gotten worse under Avalos. So I'm not shocked at all by that. It'll be interesting to see who they hire if they bring in. I know Kellen Moore's name has been floated as a possibility. We'll see how that goes. But Boise State is clearly a team that is not just you know trying to play well in the conference. It's trying to win the conference. And it hasn't won the conference in three years. So changes are going to be made when that happens. And then San Diego State, congratulations on your quote-unquote retirement, Brady. I mean, it's just they're having a terrible year, and it's not a shock at all. A program that tried to hold the Mountain West hostage for about three weeks in June. Actually, I mean, I will say it's not Brady's kind of falling on the sword here by agreeing to do the retirement instead of making them pay the buyout because they are in some financial stress because of that. So it's an honorable thing to do. I think they should be a top half program in the Mountain West for sure. Um, Boise? Especially, or no, San no, Diego State. No, San, San Diego, Diego State. State. Yeah. Yeah. Like they. They, they have the new stadium. They are in a good location. Obviously, there are other considerations there, but I, I just – I don't think Brady Hoke uh, – not that he never was a good coach, but like certainly in the last couple of years has really not been a very good coach. They, I think you can do a lot better. Uh, I, I think that will be a somewhat attractive job uh, for, for some young coach out there. Um, Penn State fires Mike Yersich. Offensive coordinator, sen- sensible reaction to the way that this is going offensively. Do you think James Franklin's going to be able to make a significant hire for uh, for his replacement? They've got money. I mean, yeah, yes. they can. It's, I mean, whoever it is, they'll be the sixth offensive coordinator at Penn State under Franklin. Now, two of them left to go take head coaching jobs, so it's not like he's just swung and missed at all his hires. It's just the last two have mostly been misses between Shiraka and Yersich. They haven't done what they'd hoped to do, whereas Moorhead and Ronnie were pretty successful. So, yeah, you're, you've got money. You need to go out and you need to get somebody because, yeah, it's you clearly failed to do it this year, what your goal was, and this was a very good team, although I do think the expectations for this team in hindsight were pretty overinflated because the defense is fantastic. The offense was not nearly what a lot of people thought it was going to be, including myself during the preseason. But with the changes coming to the league, you can't afford to stand still. You've got to be even better because if you're not good enough to win it right now, you're not going to be good enough to win it when Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA show up. Penn State's win total was nine and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're going to go over their Vegas expectations. By a half game, sure, right. but like they're, Four. but but they're. I mean, there's a lot of programs that are going to be way under it, right? It, it, you know, they're not meeting some of the fan expectations. You know, we. What are the options? You make a change, you keep swinging, or you just quit. So I like they they got to make a change. It's Penn State; they have the money to, to hire somebody good. I thought like you just had, had some some decent track record to him, honestly. 
right? So he was really good at Oklahoma State. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was a poor hire. Uh, it just didn't work out, I guess. And and maybe he'll land on his feet elsewhere. I I think Penn State will be fine, right? And it it yeah, felt like agree. a calm down. It felt like a pipe down, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, just just the idea that you're you're going to make this move on Sunday after the loss to Michigan, which was at home which had incredible crowd shots of all these fans with their frustrations. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) like uh, that, okay, you want me to do something? Fine, I'll do something. And Yersich is uh, is out. All right, uh, another question. Part of this is, is, sorry, like part of this is we talk about like the big lie in football and what ADs have to sell to donors, right? And ADs need to run the the business kind of like a business, right? 10 and 2 is a great year for Penn State. The reason why James Franklin got the huge contract he did is because he brings great stability, high-level stability to that program, right? And is one of the best coaches they've ever had. But if you're big-time boosters, you man, you want that sexy moonshot stock, right? You want to really believe that if we do it right, we're winning the natty. We're winning the league. And so like, that's why Franklin gets booed going down the tunnel because fans don't root for balance sheets, Right. Like, if fans ran programs, they'd be running off good coaches all the time in favor of great. Because they all see what Georgia did with Kirby Smart, which is the outlier, not the norm, right? Usually usually when you fire a guy who does a really good job to try to chase a great, you know, greatness, usually doesn't work. Sure money, you can do what you want. But I I think that's sort of, like, you got to kind of, I'm sure some of these boosters want a pound of flesh for yet like another non-competitive offensive effort in a big game. Yep. Um, difficult. Difficult headline coming out of Texas. Um, we knew the injury to Jonathan Brooks did not look good um, in Saturday's win, but then we get confirmation on Sunday. Uh, he will be ruled out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. Super significant. Longhorns, obviously, right in the middle of the college football playoff race, the Big 12 title race. And now, freshman CJ Baxter, who I would say has not met my highest. You know, expectations. He has shown flashes, like the the classic case that I present often, where I can put together a highlight reel on YouTube that can have you being like, "Wow, Baxter's awesome." But on a down to down basis, and the the whole body of work taken into consideration, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. You've also got Jadon Blue in that backfield as well. Tom, what are you expecting for Texas's offense as it tries to move forward without? And I'll, I'll go back to my line at the beginning of the show. I believe their most important player. Uh, it's it's a big blow because Jonathan Brooks is very, very good. I, but at the same time, I know C.J. Baxter hasn't been great so far, but I still think C.J. Baxter is a very talented player, and perhaps if he gets a larger role and he's preparing for a larger role, he will exceed because he is still going to be running behind a very good offensive line. And he is super, super, super talented, like and, scary good. And also, let's remember, like he's got 87 career carries. It's, it's you know, Jonathan Brooks – is has been there. This was his second season. He's got plenty of experience. He's also behind Bijan. Like it's it's one of those things where it takes a little bit to acclimate to this level of football. And Texas is playing at an extremely high level of football. So I'm not going to write Baxter off, but I do think between him and Blue, the run game it might drop off a little, but it's not like it's going to fall off a cliff. Like they still have a very well schemed rushing attack. They still have a very well schemed passing attack. Sark will figure things out based on their strengths and go with it, and they should be fine. But it's more losing Brooks, I think, that just sucks plainly because Brooks was a very good player having a very good season. 
with Baxter, it's going to be like because he hit a freshman wall. Now, I know he got dinged early, so like maybe the legs are a little fresher than they otherwise could have been. But like if they're going to make a playoff, like like a run in the playoff, um, and be one of those teams that we think has a real shot to stand up to a Georgia or 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 you know a, a, a Michigan, if they win the Big Twelve and make it, obviously, uh, you know, like that's they're going to need him. He, he has real talent. He also is pretty good catching the football, mm-hmm. but it is tough relying on true freshmen because they they do oftentimes hit a freshman wall. And they make mistakes because they don't have the experience yet. Texas has Iowa State, and who who left after that? Is it? Um, shoot, it's not Baylor. Is it Texas Tech? Yeah, I think so. That's who they usually play now in the final week of the season. Okay, so like two games that are not yes, layups. Texas Tech at home. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was thinking, like, if they got it in the Big Twelve, there's a couple teams right now that are clearly layups because of the quarterback situation. BYU being the obvious one um and they already got them so yeah it's, it's gonna be gonna be a grind and then the big 12 title game yeah mm-hmm. against probably oklahoma state but like can we really trust those guys to to win two games hopefully yeah i, I mean they crushed right. dcf like i said they were going to they're gonna be just fine against whoever these scrubs are that are left on the schedule a lot of we i'd i'd forgotten the uh the internet volume of UCF fans. Oh, they're mad at us. And the problem is, you, you guys very well. got me dragged into this tweet. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't say that stuff. That was all Tom and Chip, and I'm getting, I'm catching strays here because my buddies are at the bar mouthing off, and I'm. <laughs> <laughs> UCF doesn't pick up on sarcasm, I guess. But you know, hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> but no, you're. I what I said, what I meant, 100 percent sincerely. If that wasn't raining, Oklahoma State wins that game by 75. That's exactly what you said. Rin it. It, Coming up on the other side, those Oklahoma State Cowboys, they tumbled down, but not out of the AP Top 25. Quick look at the new AP poll, but also a look ahead to what we're going to be having on Tuesday night with the new college football playoff rankings. A lot of rankings talk, plus upon further review. Next. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Now, just because Halloween's in the rear view does not mean that our pet safety awareness campaign stops. No, no, no. It's Pole Assassin. As we projected on Saturday night, which was like three episodes ago, uh, the top eight (laughs) remains unchanged. 
Uh, Louisville moves up into the top 10, a result of the losses for Ole Miss and Penn State. Penn State falls three spots to 12, Ole Miss three spots to 13. Missouri, after its impressive win against Tennessee, up five spots to number 11. Uh, Utah didn't fall that far back after a close loss at Washington, down to number 16. Tennessee down to number 21, and even that might be too high. Uh, And Oklahoma State, after the loss to UCF, down nine spots uh, to number 24, Kansas falls out of the top 25. Any thoughts on the uh, the AP poll? I've got uh, so this is less AP poll related, but high. what? Ole Miss way too high. It, like their 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 wins are are awful. It, it, I mean, counter counter, they are on the lower. If if you were doing the ordinal ranking thing, they are on the lower end of the two lost teams. Not low enough for me. <laughs> so did you see? Did you see Stats War put out the success rate graphic today? Did we get beat? No, they were close. There's a couple of plays away. <laughs> they were. I think the the top one. I can't remember what the, the biggest gap was, but Georgia overall miss was number two. So like that game, you could argue that it wasn't even as close as the score suggests it was. So which sets the stage for. Um, other rankings news here on this Monday morning because five weeks ago, the Michigan Wolverines beat out Georgia for the number one spot in the CBS Sports 133 by a single voting point. We rank every single team in the FBS. It's compiled by ballots from members of CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports. And for the last five weeks, to varying degrees, Michigan has had a gap in this against Georgia and the CBS 133 that it has not had in the AP Top 25 or the coaches poll. Georgia took its corners back. Georgia beat that ass against the Rebels, and now Georgia has reclaimed the number one spot in the CBS Sports 133. I lay that to say, and this is funny because it's after Michigan's best win of the season. Resume-wise, you know, you go into... Happy Valley, you beat Penn State on the road. There's not a win on the profile on paper that's going to look better, but what Georgia was able to do and what it has done in the last two weeks, what Missouri went on to do in a, the next week against Tennessee is all strengthening the Bulldogs' profile. So do you think Georgia can take number one from Ohio State on Tuesday night? Yeah. And they should. Yeah. <laughs> like they – Georgia for the last three weeks has probably looked like the best team. And Michigan finally played a game in which the opponent had uh, somewhat similar athletes. And the passing game uh, was not relied upon, but it was also not featured. Right. And I do think that one of the reasons, if you think Michigan has taken a step forward this year, is that you think McCarthy's taken a step forward. And Michigan just really didn't show much in the pass game. So. I have a little bit of uncertainty about their past game, not as much as I did last year, but Georgia looks more complete. Carson Beck looks really, really good. Even the interception wasn't his fault. Uh, getting a Marius Mims back helps a lot. Like adding first round pr- talents back to your roster turns out can be helpful in mid November. And, and Georgia added two back. So I, I think Georgia should be number one. I agree. Georgia should be number one. But as for the results of the poll this week, I think it's reflective of what we see every year, and it is something we've talked about a lot. Georgia whoops a top 10 team that really we have discussed on this show all season long, so this is not hindsight, was not a very good top 10 team. It wasn't nearly as good as its record suggests, 
and gets all the credit in the world for it. Michigan goes on the road and beats a top 10 team. And yeah, they only won by nine, but at no point in that game were they ever in danger of losing. They didn't throw, not because they couldn't, but because they had no need to. And it's suddenly, well, it's not that impressive of a win because Penn State kind of stinks, so we're not really going to give them any credit for it. If you're an S- if you're a fraudulent top 10 SEC team, you get credit for beating them. If you're a top 10 Big Ten team, eh, they were never that good to begin with because they didn't score a lot of points. So it's it's an interesting way to see how that reacts, and I think the greatest person that is a reflection of this, going back to assassinating our uh, pollsters, Scott Springer, a writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer, do you know where he has Penn State on his ballot this week? Um, seven. No. Oh, unranked. 20. Yeah. He doesn't have them ranked. So because Penn State has lost two games to Ohio State and Michigan, he decided they don't deserve to be in the top 25. But yet at number 13, he has a Notre Dame team that lost to Ohio State, Louisville, and Clemson. Because I don't know, but it's just it, this is what happens. Penn State plays poorly against teams that it's not as good as, and it sucks now. It beats the crap out of everybody else it plays, but since it can't beat two of the top four teams in the country, it's garbage and it doesn't deserve to be ranked. So it's that is kind of it's not as extreme, but that is very much a symptom you see from voters every single year. Agree with Tom's point. If I'm gonna support this guy, what's his name? Scott. Scott Springer. All right, Scott. I- Maybe Scott is somebody who favors wins, like just evaluates the quality of your wins. And and from that standpoint, and the committee does this a little bit, they don't perfectly mirror that. And they do sort of just ordinal rank teams based on losses. And and like within within the group of zero and one and two losses, they then they rank you based on on merit, allegedly. Um does Notre Dame have better wins than Penn State? I think so. Duke, but yeah. And and beat and beating the crap out of USC. All right, well, does yeah. Iowa have better wins than Penn State? Or did Iowa lose to Penn State? Because he's got Iowa ranked at 21. Iowa lost to Penn State 31 to nothing. Oh, they did. Yeah, that, oh, oh, that's, that's right. Oh, <laughs> crap. Well, that throws that out of the water. No, no, no Big just, Ten West team should be in the top 40. No, like, just, like, hey, whoa, really. whoa, whoa. 35. Okay, fine. Okay. 35. Okay. Agreed. Uh, 500 yards, four touchdowns, 48 points. That's all I'm okay, going to say. Fair. fair um, but yeah, no, it's, again, this is just, it is reactionary just oh, to the extreme. It was it was a mistake apparently. He tweeted that it was a mistake and they are number 18 on his reuploaded ballot. Okay, well Scott, I take it all back. Scott, 18 is low end for me but reasonable. But I I'll accept it. It's still the lowest of anybody that voted this week cuz I think the lowest other than Scott was 17. But yeah, it's more acceptable than I'm just not going to rank him at all. While I have Notre Dame at 13. I, I, the, you know what the floor is? They can't be behind Tulane. All right. Yeah. That's that. No, ain't ain't been nothing in the last month of Tulane green wave football that says, yeah, us ahead of Penn state for sure. So that's uh, if, cause sometimes we approach rankings thinking about the numbers. Oh, that's not a top 10 team. That's not a top 20 team. The definition of what is or is not a top 10 or top 20 team changes every year. And Sometimes week to week. So stacking them up against the other teams that are occupying that different space, I would, I would say that uh, any anything behind that two-lane kind of like 17, 18, 19 mark is a, it's a bit of an overreaction, even if um, Penn State's effort for the upset lacked teeth. 
Uh, all right. Anything else from the rankings cool. or expectations for uh, for the playoff rankings? I I think you could see Georgia move into number one in the playoff rankings. I also think you could see Washington pass Florida State. Are we surprised? I don't think you will, but again, it's it's the, for a TV show, and those two will sort will sort each other out. Do you yeah. go undefeated or not? Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if we're gonna say look at the last two weeks, and uh, Washington is able to trot out win against a ranked opponent, win against a ranked opponent, and Florida State's there with Pitt and Miami, then the committee could definitely <clears throat> could definitely say that the profile has changed enough just to swap them four or five. Jordan's probably going to mute me for this, so I'm going to say it really fast. Why is Tennessee ranked? What good wins does Tennessee have this year? They've been blown out three times. I mean, like, Bama blew them out. Missouri blew them out. Florida blew them out. Their wins are... Uh, Tennessee four. is who everybody seems to think Penn State is. Yes. that Yes, exactly. Right. Like, their wins aren't, aren't dominant in any way, really. Uh, I mean, like, South Carolina, A&M... It's Kentucky and A&M. And I looked at it because Tennessee in the CBS Sports 133 had one of the biggest moves down of anybody week to week. So your you're like positive games are two coin flips that landed for you against Kentucky and Texas A&M. Correct. SEC, though. SEC. Got, got, a committee will, will still love it because you got to justify mm-hmm. all these SEC teams. I, yeah. Tuesday, November 14th, we got three games of Maction. Toledo at Bowling Green, Western Michigan at Northern Illinois, Akron at Eastern Michigan. You can see that Akron-Eastern Michigan game on the CBS Sports Network. Right now, we're looking at Toledo, 10-point favorite on the road. Northern Illinois is a a 5.5-point favorite at home against Western. And Eastern Michigan is a a 5.5-point favorite uh, at home against Akron. Anybody got any leans or early picks for the Tuesday night action? Give me Western plus five and a half. Northern going backwards. Yeah. Also, Western just you know it's they're, they're, to me they're pretty much the same team. <laughs> it's the Mac. Everybody's the same team. So take the dog. Bowling Green plus ten. Can I interest anybody in a no. Bowling Green? Okay. I think Bowling Green is very much a MAC team that's going to beat the, the other MAC ones. teams, but the other teams that are kind of have a pulse, the Miamis, the Toledos, they're going to struggle against. I, I can. There are certain situations in, in which I like backing Bowling Green, and Bowling Green will play hard, and they actually have a, a pretty competitive defense, especially like pass rush wise. But there are certain teams I really struggle to back Bowling Green against because of quarterback play. And like certain teams can take advantage of Bowling Green's quarterback issues. And Toledo is basically at the top of that list, along with Miami of Ohio uh, in, in the MAC. So, I, I mean, could they do it? Toledo already clinched, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, no, there's nobody else in the East. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was close because Miami's because they, they the beat West. Miami. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, look, we have absolutely seen Toledo lay down before. Including oh, Toledo, last year. Toledo in the West. Yeah, I, I mix that up. But yeah, Toledo is six and zero. Second place is a tie at three and three. They're clinched. Okay. So is it totally unthinkable that Toledo just just mails this game in? Because we've seen them do it last year. Like they didn't give a damn for those last two conference games. Once they clinched, they lost outright. It's like a seventeen point favorite, and it was 
if I'm remembering correctly, like it wasn't competitive. Now, maybe because the Toledo coach is trying to get a job, like I see his name tweeted by a lot of the reporters, maybe they keep hammered down. But I don't know, man. It would not be surprising. Final two games of the season for the Rockets at Bowling Green, um, which is going to be this Tuesday night, and then at Central Michigan, which will be 10 days later. It would not be surprising, if not in the first, definitely in the second to see a little bit of a lighter approach taken in terms of personnel, trying to make sure you're getting healthy for that MAC championship game where you're either going to be running into Miami of Ohio, not Miami of, excuse me, Miami, Miami, Ohio, or uh, Ohio, depending on how the next couple weeks go. Last year, they lost to Bowling Green 42 to 35 and Western 20 to 14 before then turning around, being fine in the conference title game, winning 17 to seven over Ohio. And yeah, and debatable on like fine. That Mac title game was a was a fair. football event. <laughs> they <laughs> played a, sixty minutes by the rules. Sixty minutes and whistles stopped play. Ugh, seventeen to seven. Was that right? Was that the final yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. Without work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, listen, it was there were I think both teams were down to their third string quarterback and it played out like that kind of game. Two Mac teams down to backup quarterbacks. I believe I, that was the first Detroit Lions or the last Detroit Lions classic style football game played in Ford Field in a while because <laughs> that's been yeah, different. It's been different since. Uh, all right. So I wanted to get those out of the way because Tuesday, those are all seven o'clock kicks. And our Tuesday night reaction show, it's not going to come out till the rankings come out. And the rankings aren't going to come out until the midpoint of the two games in the Champions oh, sh- Classic. Oh, that's this. That's this week. I'm sorry, Tom. So 930 would be my best guess. Um, I'm not on the schedule for any HQ stuff. So as soon as we've got the 25, I should be ready to go. But we're not gonna have a we're not gonna have a set time for that. We'll be watching shooty hoops, waiting for the game to end, booing every single time they call another foul. That, you you Hold, hold your complaints. Coming up on the other side, we're going under the hood for a pun. Further review, more thoughts on the week that was, and looking ahead. Next. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Back here on the Cover 3 Podcast, every single Monday, we like to give a second look. Uh, all the takeaways that we have from going back at through the Saturday action on Sunday and Monday morning, we call it a pun for the review. 
there were terrible calls. Do we want to go ahead and jump in? After further review. After further review. After further review. At the very beginning of the show, the Cover 3 tailgate, they were, they were looking for someone. They weren't looking for Tom. They weren't looking for Bud. And they weren't even looking for Chip. They even alleged that maybe Danny Cannell was interviewing for Texas A&M. We don't know. His claim is that he's going to be on Monday, uh, Monday quarterback on CBS Sports Network. You can watch it Monday night on CBS Sports Network. See DK in studio. Where maybe he will and maybe he won't answer for a tweet that has the streets on fire. Tom, would you like to detail for those listening at home what exactly we're talking about? Oh, you mean the coward Daniel Cannell tweeting that Keon Coleman is better than Marvin Harrison Jr. And then looking at the rundown, seeing that I was going to counter his argument on the show today and then be like, oh, sorry, boys, I got to do TV. I can't make the show this morning. Whoops. Oh, well, didn't see that coming. My bad. Um, I want to start. He knew that he was going to be available days ago, you know, Mm -hmm. but we Mm -hmm. didn't find out until he saw this on the rundown. Tweet and run, tweet and run. That's Danny Cannell right there. Um, <laughs> I want to make clear before I start, because I hate when you do these kind of things. Like you compare two really good players and say one's better than the other, and it becomes, oh, he thinks this guy sucks. No, they're both very good players. They both could easily be first-round draft picks. I mean, I, I know Marvin's going to be. Keon could be a first-round pick too. But he's he's not. it's not saying he can't be better, but there's very little evidence that he's better right now. Like you look at him size-wise, they're 6'4". 200-ish pounds, long, athletic freaks. They're great. But as far as production goes, there's no statistic in which Keon Coleman is better than Marvin Harrison or relatively close to Marvin Harrison so far this year. Marvin Harrison has 59 catches for 1,063 yards and 12 touchdowns. Keon has 42 catches for 562 yards and 10 touchdowns. So they're close on touchdowns. Um, As far as yards per reception, yards per target, air yards per target, yards per route, Marvin is well ahead of Keon in all of these departments. Marvin is also pressed at the line of scrimmage far more than Keon is. So he's dealing with different defenses and he's thriving against them too. Now that's not really against Keon because of the way that Florida State schemes its receivers, he's getting a lot of free releases. And the other thing about Keon is as tremendous as he is, he's what I like to call when it comes to receivers, a sausage guy. Screen, slant, and go. Those are the three primary routes that Keon Coleman runs in the Florida State offense. And there is nothing wrong with being a sausage guy because a sausage guy can go to the NFL and being able to run a screen, a slant, and a go is going to be a very useful skill at every single level. But Keon played a whole lot of sports in high school. He's still learning the position. His route tree is not fully developed. Then there is Marvin Harrison Jr. who, and again, like Booger shared the same, Booger McFarland shared the same kind of opinion as Danny did on Twitter this weekend. Booger played for the Colts with Marvin Harrison. I don't know if they've got beef or something, but Boog, do you not remember watching Marvin Harrison, the father of the Marvin Harrison Jr., who is probably one of the most precise route runners in the history of the NFL? Marvin Harrison Jr. grew up with that man as his father, being taught how to run routes. Marvin Harrison's footwork and route running ability, he runs them all. He's not just a sausage guy. He does everything to perfection already. They are not the same. They are both very good. Marvin Harrison will be a top five pick. Keon Coleman could be a mid to late first rounder. It's not to say he can't be better than him one day. If you want to say that, fine. But he is not better than him right now. 
I think he could be better than him right now, but I, I, this is not the game I would have sent the tweet on, honestly. like I, I think Harrison Jr.'s track record is much better uh, than, than Coleman's is. Although Harrison Jr. last two years had a guy who's killing the NFL throwing the ball, and Coleman was at Michigan State, which is quarterback-like product, I guess. Um, but like Keon's clearly hurt. If you watched him, he, he played against Wake, hadn't practiced, didn't play against Pitt. Like he's kind of gutting it out out there. He gets what a touchdown, another nice first down, and he gets dragged down, you know, on on a, on a play that would have scored probably a seventy yarder type thing, uh, and they didn't call the flag on it. But like, Keon does not have the same level of juice right now that he had in like the first six weeks of the season before he got dinged up. So I I don't think like if I had to go play a game tomorrow, I'm unquestionably taking Marvin Harrison. I, I just I thought. Denny may end up being right in the long term. I just don't think that was the game I would have done it over. Although, like, shout to Keon for gutting it out and playing through it. Danny watched Keon catch that touchdown in the side of the end zone to go up, and he was like, he's the best receiver in the world. Let's be real. That's what Danny did. Yeah, never mind. He he. We'll wait. We'll wait for uh, Day Train Danny to come back. Defend <laughs> yourself, coward. You know where to find me. <laughs> do some do some stock analysis of his. Uh, and do some stock analysis of his tweets. This one, boy, this is a long play because right now you're upside down and underwater on this one, DK. <laughs> Bud says, hold on. Might pay off eventually. All right, uh, Bud, you had a note in here about the Missouri coaching staff, a Missouri coaching staff that has prepared the Tigers to for a hard-fought game, good effort against Georgia, then turned around and uh, just beat the brakes off of Tennessee. Uh, what, what as you've been going through Missouri's sort of profile in these last couple weeks, what's been standing out? I, I just think Missouri's well-coached, man. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz has made some nice coordinator hires. I, mean, I, I think Baker's really good, and Kirby Moore, the offensive coordinator they got from Fresno, I, I, I think he's really nice, too. Like, they keep making good adjustments. They... They seem to have a good plan for every game they play. Like Missouri is, there's some chance Missouri is the third best team in the SEC, and that's both a credit to Missouri and also probably a, a real reason for skepticism about the SEC this year compared to prior years. Uh, but I mean, like, their they competition, the best team. yeah, the, the competition for that claim is the team that they did like a coin flip shootout game. Who's got the ball last right. with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if LSU hadn't lost all those DBs, the, the answer is LSU, and I, I don't think there's much question at all about that. But LSU did lose the DBs over the last month. So, I mean, if you lined it up again today, I'm going to take Missouri to beat LSU. If you're Texas A&M, would you give Eli a call? Yeah. That's actually a pretty good one. He seems to be pretty competent. Yeah. Also, like, he's cocky. Mm-hmm. That's why he's the elf yeah. nerd. You remember when he showed up to a basketball game, the Missouri-Kansas basketball game, and held up a poster that said five level one violations? Declared himself Tennessee state champions? Yeah. Because, by the way, like, Missouri beat Middle Tennessee. It beat Memphis. It beat Vandy. It beat Tennessee. And I don't know. Like, it only beat Middle Tennessee by four, but it dog-walked the Vols. That's that's something that we need to uh, look into a little deeper, don't you think? Then. it? Eli's done a great job uh, with this team. Uh, what else we want to hit here in upon further review? I have one thing that it's it's a, a hypothesis. Okay. Um, Jordan, get it ready because I sent Jordan a graphic earlier. College football is finally getting over its long-term COVID symptoms Ooh. because we've talked about this a lot, and I dug deeper into it. 
the idea of parody and how there has been a lack of quote unquote parody this year in that favorites are winning at a higher clip than we have seen in previous years. Now, as you can see in the chart, their favorites are fewer than a touchdown. That's kind of always been coin flippy and it varies from year to year. But when you get to the favorites of seven plus, 10 plus, 14 plus, you could see outside the 2016 season in the college football playoff era from 2014 to 2019, pretty damn dominant. Mm-hmm. Then 2020 comes and we start seeing a whole, the win percentage drops pretty precipitously in one season. What was 2020? The COVID year. No home field advantage, none of that stuff. 2021 comes, it recovers a little bit, but starts heading more towards the dominant position. 2022, same same kind of situation. So you had the COVID year, which then gave everybody a free year of eligibility, along with the transfer portal. So for these three seasons, my hypothesis is the impact of COVID on the sport is it equaled the playing field a little bit. But as we are seeing in 2023, now that all those COVID years are kind of wearing out and people are running out of eligibility and we're just getting back to the normal four, you know, five years to play four, the big dogs are once again separating themselves, which I think is great just in time for the 12-team playoff. Because I also want to, upon further review, give myself credit for not mentioning on Saturday night or so far yet today that we all got to watch Georgia beat the hell out of Ole Miss, and that's what everybody wants to watch in the playoffs every year. So congratulations, guys. You're getting what you want. The uh, the top 15 from the preseason poll, they've played 100 games as a favorite of 10 or more. They are 98-2. and two. Mm-hmm. Oh, who is the second? Clemson they're was both, the first. They're both Clemson. They're both Clemson. Yeah. Oh. Wait. The first one was a 10-point favorite against Duke. The second one was losing as a 10-point favorite. When? Uh, they lost to, was it NC State? Yeah. Oh, as a 10-point favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 98-2. Yeah. Can't wait till we get to watch those first-round playoff matchups. Oh, boy. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to uh, yeah, I don't want to poke holes in it, but it's also like you're saying the preseason top 15. Preseason top 15. I want, does the preseason top 15 play out? pretty commonly because everyone says there's someone in the preseason top 25 that doesn't end up ranked right mm-hmm. you know, there's x five or six teams that don't end up ranked you think that 12 to 15 is probably a pretty good marker like you might find one or two teams in there this year clemson would be one of them but, but for everybody who's like i think preseason polls are terrible we shouldn't even do any rankings until we get to november i don't know like if preseason polls are fairly predictive What's wrong with them? Well, they're great. Like I, I, I make my living off this sport. We all do. <laughs> Preseason polls are amazing. People click them. They claim to hate them, and they click them even more. Yeah, and the numbers I showed you aren't based on polls. They're just based on these teams are better than these teams, and they're going to win yeah. 95% of the time. Um, all right, and uh, let's go. Uh, Bud, you want to give us an American Athletic Conference race update? I do, man. This is actually – there's a lot of conferences where the the league isn't necessarily decided, but 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 the championship matchup is is roughly decided. Like in the Sun Belt, you know, Troy clinched, and uh, and it's probably going to be Coastal in the Sun Belt East, unless JMU obviously uh, gets gets granted their waiver. Uh, but man, this is uh, this is a really really interesting one in the American because we have four teams that are legitimately in this. You know, Tulane, which keeps winning. Hasn't looked super impressive 
they also keep resting a whole bunch of guys. So maybe there's some NBA style load management strategy to that. But I think there's there's clearly room for some skepticism there. SMU, uh, which pretty much dominated North Texas on Friday night. UTSA, which again just keeps winning, and Memphis, which really embodies this, just keeps winning. I mean, this is a four-team race now, and like I, I don't know who's going to win this. Uh, SMU's looked the best to me for the, the last month or so, but UTSA is pretty legit too. Uh, Memphis, they really need Hennigan to be fully healthy because that defense is is uh, is a problem, and Tulane may just be kind of just. Laying in the grass there a little bit. Like, by the way, remember us, returning champion, best quarterback in the league. We've been arrested a bunch of guys. Good luck. I, this is going to be a fun because like all these teams are pretty damn good. So I'm, I'm I'm excited to watch this. Anything else we want to hit before we get out of here? Daniel Cannell is still a coward. <laughs> He's, I I hope he comes for Tuesday night. Otherwise, it's going to be a loaded big game breakdown. It's going to come Tuesday night. Talk tweets. about how Florida State should be number one. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that is the best for content. If we yes, it is. Florida I hope he does. State, if we could get Florida State to fall to five. Yeah. Get That's, angry, Danny, on the show. Let's go. All right. Again, best guess here, like 930-ish, because they're going to have the first game supposed to start at seven. Then when that ends, they'll go to a commercial. They'll come back. They'll do the top 25. Once the top 25 are out, we'll be locked and loaded here on the Cover 3 podcast, youtube.com slash cover three shortly after. Then after that, back Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time for big game breakdown and much more on the coaching carousel that is rocking and rolling. Yes, bud? Two housekeeping things. One, Thank you for allowing us to play in the sandbox. That is the all sports podcast category, number eight in the entire country. Like not football, not college ball, all sports on Apple this morning. Appreciate the love, y'all. Absolutely awesome. Keep giving us those five-star reviews. Hit like. Also, I have lodged a complaint with management about the new policy of live ads during a live show. And I, I I don't know if I can win for the hot spot, but I do think I might be able to win on this one. So we are sorry. I, I don't know if this change is permanent. I, I agree. It's a terrible user experience. I'm sorry. Awesome. All right. You take your time out to watch us live. You, you should not be part of the ads. Well, I've got follow-up questions, but we can answer those after I say, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Finelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all. It is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.